Welcome to the East Memorial Ministries podcast. This podcast is the central hub for Welcome all audio publications. Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, Memorial your source Baptist for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student So grab a pen, paper, your host, and your Matt copy Ronsky, of God's Word, and let's study God's discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville. We Alabama. are going to be in the introduction of Christ's Call to Reform the Church. If you don't have a copy, I have a basket up here with books in it, and this is um, a wonderful book. I've marked my book podcast. up, and so I don't know if you've done that, but I would encourage you to, um, however, you best take notes, just to mark up the book or take notes in a notebook, page um, write down page numbers. This will just be an encouragement to for you, and this will also encourage you to be able to maybe speak up um, if you have something already written in. Um, and so, like, if you uh, go to a certain page, we're on a certain topic in that chapter, um, it may spur some conversation. So I want to encourage you to do that. If you're writing a notebook, do write down page numbers, quotes, uh, and stuff like that. Um, it's a little bit of a different format than what we normally do. Uh, I do have a lesson, but I want, it, I want to kind of guide it through uh, you guys as well. I don't, I'm, I'm sure that most of you have read the majority of the book. We gave it out a couple months ago. But this is going to be a study that's going to take a good two months and it's probably going to be more into the three month time frame two and a half three months because we're, we're going to walk through it slowly the introduction today uh you saw is just what four or five pages if that um and so i'm going to dip a little bit into chapter one uh just the call to reformation for the church but chapters one and two are just kind of gearing you up for the seven churches that we're going to be studying um so the the word reformation does anybody know i mean can anybody kind of share with me what you think Reformation means? I mean, I know we know about the Reformation, but what is Reformation? It's changing. So it's a reforming, you could say. The, the, dec- the dictionary actually says it's to put or change into an improved form or condition. Or another one, to amend or improve by change of form or removal of faults. To induce or cause to abandon evil ways. That's uh, the definition of reform. Um, the intransitive verb is to become changed for the better. I think that's probably a good definition that we could focus on. Um, so it's an act of being reformed. That's reformation, to being better. Um, and, and so MacArthur's title for this book is, it's a call to reform not the world, not the USA. It's a call to reform the church. The church. And... Uh, can he, uh, the back says it, but can anybody tell me what the main point of the book is? The, the Lord's command for the church is to be what? Pure. Yeah. Doctrinally and morally pure. That, that's what the Lord's command for the church is to be. Um, and so that could, I mean, obviously, um, that could be pure in sexual uh, morality. Um, it could be pure in the way we speak, the way we communicate, think, what we do with our time, all of those things. But the simplest version of purity for the church is to protect the gospel, the only thing that can save, right? So our job is to preach the word, to be ambassadors for Christ in the gospel, and then we're also entrusted with each other to build one another up, to edify one another. And so we have the church... Um, there's a, a great definitions of the church. If you have John MacArthur's uh, Systematic Theology book, I'd encourage you, if you don't, 
Christmas has already passed, so your budget may be a little tight. But uh, if you need it on loan, just tell me. Get one off the shelf in there. Uh, but it's John MacArthur's Systematic Theology. This is the smaller version. It's the pocket version I carry with me to church. But um, Essential Christian Doctrine. It fits right inside my pocket, not really. But, um, but it's uh, got a great theology uh, s- study of it on the church in here. I would encourage you to get that. But just one thing I pulled from it was... Uh, that the church, uh, there's two metaphors that are emphasized, and specifically in Ephesians and Corinthians, but that is that, that we are the bride of Christ. You've heard that, the bride of Christ, and the body of Christ. All right, so in premarital counseling, you know, you talk about the bride and the groom. You talk about purity. That's one of the things that, that is talked about when I'm doing premarital counseling. I'll sit down with a, a couple that's in love, you know, just smitten. And my, my goal is to try to get past the surface, try to get past the, the warm fuzzies and the puppy dog love, and to really get into love's a choice, right? And, and to be pure to, for one another is a choice. Um, because, you know, talk to any married couple that's been married for more than a few years, and you can say the, the warm fuzzies go away. You have to cultivate that. Um, now, if you're hoping, Darren, it seems like it never fades. It's just always, always there. But I say that because we do have to cultivate love even for the Lord. And in that, it's a cultivating of time, just like it is for your spouse. We have to give time to the Word of God. And it's not just a devotional here, devotional there. It's like in-depth study of God's Word. So to be pure, can, it comes from our time and development in sanctification with the Lord. But to be pure is to protect the only thing that saves in this world. So in the introduction, I'm, I'm assuming you've all read it. If you haven't, it's okay. Um, if you're new to the class or you, you haven't had a time to open the book, you haven't even gotten a book yet, it's up here. We'll get that to you after the class. But Christ's call, the title, to reform the church, what is he, what is he not talking about? The government, right? I mean... I remember when I first read this introduction months ago, I'm reading page nine and I'm, I'm getting through this second paragraph and, and it just struck me, even though this is, I already knew this truth, but the, the focus that this book was going to give attention to, I knew that I needed to take up my pen and, and write. He says at the bottom of the page, we need to shed the illusion that our ancestors' morality once made America a Christian nation. And he says there's never been any Christian nations, just Christians. You know, last year, the year before especially, was tumultuous in the political world, right? In our, in our world. And so we've all come off this war, if it be for Trump or for Biden or for reform in this regard of that. And now we're in this war of abortion uh, laws and hopefully, hope, hopefully trying to reform that. And all of these governmental reforms, societal changes, it all boils down to the fact that that isn't what saves people. And we know that. And we talk about that. Right? We talk about the fact that people need Jesus. We can go out and make a change in the classroom, Dana, and those things are good, and we can make a change for societal good. We can talk about social justice, but none of that actually reforms people. Only Jesus does that. We can clean up 
are outside, but the inside is what needs to change. And I've talked to you about even counseling with people in the chaplaincy. Um, I want to get to the heart of the matter, and that's sin. I think w- the way John sets this up, and actually this is an old sermon series of John's. I mean, John's been preaching for 52, three years now and, uh, at Grace, and uh, every book that he has comes from sermon series. And I went back and listened to some of his old sermons on the topic, and then he's got some new ones that he did in 2016 um, on the topic. And um, very, very good. He, he's setting it up on the, under the guise of the legalizing morality. You know, I'm sure you've heard that term. Um, and as Christians in America, especially, we have we've really settled on the fact that America is a Christian nation and that it needs to get back to its Christian roots. And in our thinking, they need to be reformed. We need, we need to go and reform the government and society. But John's here in this book saying, no, we need to round ourselves back up. The shepherds need to grab their flocks, pull them in, and call them to repentance as a church. Because in the book of Revelation... The book of Revelation we think of as a book of judgment to the world, and it is. But what about the first three chapters? The first three chapters are written to us, to the church. And so you think of John. um, I've never been to the Isle of Patmos. I would love to be able to go there one day. Not just there, but just travel through some of Paul's journeys. But um, it's just a rock. It's not like he was on some exotic island, you know, with palm trees and you know, it's not what Stephanie's version of vacation is that where John was at. He was on a rock and supposedly like in a cave um, as he is hearing the voice of God that sounds like the mighty trumpet. Um, I've heard MacArthur talk about being at the Isle of Patmos and just the waves crashing on this barren island, this rock. It's loud. And so as you look at Revelation chapter 1, you, you can kind of get the sense of, John is hearing the voice of the Lord, and this is a message not from John. It's a message from God, and he says it in Revelation 1.1. He says it in Revelation 1.5. Revelation 1.1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John. In verse 5 of Revelation 1 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. In other words, Jesus is the messenger. And he's writing to the church. John mentions in the introduction, he says, Notice, Jesus isn't writing to the king. He's not writing to the governing officials. He's writing to the churches, and he's condemning them, and he's offering them warnings, and he's talking about persecution that will come. Now, obviously, they'll be saved from the final judgment if they are a child of God, but it is the warning to reform, to repent, to protect the purity of the doctrines of the faith. Um, 1 Peter, I don't know if you saw this in here, 1 Peter 4, 17 is what it says. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So the judgment of God starts with the church, the household of God. That's 1 Peter 4.17. All right, so Peter is is giving the same message, and he's not on the Isle of Patmos with John. So 
this judgment of the household of God, it's, a, it's not condemnation, but it's the purging. It's the chastening, the purifying of the church by the loving hand of God. It's not the same type of judgment that will come about in the wrath of God that is the day of the Lord. It is a purification. It is a purging, chastening, loving judgment from God. It's, it's far better um, and more important to kingdom work. All right? And this is what I want us to focus on this year. It's far better and more important to kingdom work to endure suffering as the Lord purges and strengthens His church than to endure the eternal sufferings that you know unbelievers are going to face in the lake of fire. You know, Canadian pastors are about to face um, jail time. I think it's four years minimum if they start to preach against homosexuality or any, any sexual immorality. And that's coming down the pike, and pastors are going to be preaching this month as uh, MacArthur's actually called pastors to preach on um, sexual immorality uh, and just really in defense of the pastors in Canada as well. But what Bill is saying here is really the whole introduction of this book. And, and what John says is that morality on its own is no solution. This is his quote. He says, it damns just like immorality. Morality cannot turn the stony heart to flesh. It cannot break the chains of sin, and it cannot reconcile us to God. And so off of what Bill was saying, I think it's good for us to look at what the Lord said to the Pharisees. So go to Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. <clears throat> the Lord went after the Pharisees with accusations. And it was against the religious right to his day, the party of the Pharisees. And this is what he said in Matthew 23, 13. 23, 13, Matthew, he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. I mean, that woe here doesn't seem like much to us, but that's, he's calling damnation on them. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Skip down to verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. Isaiah, you don't have to turn there. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 3. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 3. But Isaiah 64, 6 says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So look at Romans 3.10. As it is written, this is quoting the Psalms, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. So the best morality can do is to turn people into another batch of condemned Pharisees is what John's saying here. And so um, as Paul here, even in Romans, as Brad just brought to our attention, in verse 1, he does. Just like in Revelations 4 and on, he's condemning the world. There is judgment to come. But then he turns it to us. It's the church. We're, ju we're just the same. We waste our time and our resources when we're not focused on the work of the church. Ephesians chapter 5. Why don't you turn there? 
There's so many churches today, and we're not one of them, but so many churches that boast about the fact that they allow sinners and hypocrites and uh, immoral to come and worship with them. Um, in fact, there have been people who have left our church, and we're not perfect by any stretch, but any type of church discipline that were to go on in someone's life, they just run to another church. And sometimes those churches have no idea until we call them and say, so-and-so's hiding out in your congregation because they don't want to face church discipline. And sometimes those churches will pick up the mantle and they will pursue as well and partner with us. But most of the time, it's, they just ignore it and they allow them to hide there. And um, that's, not, that's not the work of the church. That's not helping anybody. And it's a waste of time and resources. It's just to gather numbers into your church. So they will gladly take those people because it looks better for them. It makes them feel better. There's more people attending. And I would say that we've probably been guilty of some of that even in the past. I think it's just it's human nature. Ephesians chapter 5, 16 and 17. Paul writes, making the most of your time because the days are evil. This is, we don't want to waste our time. Verse 17, so then do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. What the will of the Lord is. So we know that the will of the Lord is not a culture governed by social equity or even institutionalized Pharisaism. We're not going to change the culture by demanding that they kill less babies this year. Doesn't mean our voice doesn't need to continually be heard because we are protecting the rights of the unborn. But that's not going to change anybody. Changing the abortion laws is not going to stop abortions. We know that. It's not going to save anybody. Now, it may save lives in the sense that we can, like Amanda is a part of a ministry that allows moms to see the importance of a life inside of them. And that's a different kind of attack on abortion. But just changing laws isn't going to change morality now there's a word evangelical we don't really use much um, MacArthur's trying to bring it back in fact he was going to do a conference on the word evangelical a few years ago because it's gotten a negative con uh, context just because of all the Protestant churches today that are not evangelical but it de it's derived from the Greek word gospel <clears throat> and it, it originally signified Christians who understood the gospel the importance of it, and, and, and understood the very essence of Christian doctrine and salvation. And so they guarded it at all cost. And so it was this, it was a term for people who understood the importance of the gospel and they protected it and they lived pure lives and they sought to be holy and pure like the Puritans, constantly reforming and wanting to change and wanting the church to be more like Christ. And so the word evangelical was derived from that, but now the word evangelical is just watered down. And, and it's just what people say to say that they're a Protestant, Christian, or um, um, something of the like. And, and it's just not, it doesn't have the same inclination. And I think that that's a good I, a good thing for us to think about even in the way we view church I'm not saying necessarily our group but in general the culture and society they view church as more of a self-help group <clears throat> they view churches like a club for um, people who believe that Jesus died on the cross but they have no idea what the protection of the gospel and what the gospel actually even means 
<coughs> yeah, Caleb. Um, that's a, yeah, that's a great example. Listening to the people talk in between songs on Caleb, it should drive you crazy. If it doesn't, then th- there's a problem. <laughs> um, and so uh, th- that's, that's, the, that's the modern church today, though. That is the modern church. Christian artists who are writing songs that are supposed to be worship songs, but they're not even about God, really. They're about us. That is the modern church, and that's the culture. I don't usually like to throw churches under the bus, and if you like um, this particular church that I'm about to mention, it, the, okay, we can talk. But the Church of the Highlands is a very large movement within our state, and they're even going into Georgia. I think there's even one in Tennessee now. Um, the Church of the Highlands is connected and related to Joel Olstein's church. I don't know if you knew that. If you go back and look at some of the main leaders that started Highlands, they all came out of Joel Olstein's church. Each one of their churches has a staff, paid full-time comedian on staff. Did you know that? It's true. The one in Montgomery hired a comedian two years ago straight out of uh, Olstein's, Olstein's church. And... I asked my cousin about that guy. He loves him. I mean, he is funny. I've heard him, heard, heard a few of his bits. He's there only just to keep the mood light. He's there to keep things friendly and fun and exciting. Kind of like on the football teams when they, hi- they have a strength and conditioning coach out there to keep everybody hyped up, you know? And so churches are hiring comedians on staff. I'm picking on this particular one. There's so many like it. But people are flocking to it. Does that mean that the state of Alabama is in revival and people are in the masses going to church? Or has the standards for church lowered so much that people just feel wonderful about checking that box off the list and they have really good friends there that all believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins? Because my, my cousin believes that. That's a watered-down version of the gospel, that Jesus came for you. It's all about you, and that's what churches teach. That's what the songs are teaching on K-Love. And, and this is a, a reformation that we must call, not only to our church, but to believers, to true, genuine evangelicals. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I grew up in a church and believed in Jesus my whole life. I've never, ever not believed in Jesus. But I didn't understand the gospel until later in life. And so just because I always believed in Jesus doesn't, doesn't mean that I was a, a Christian. Now, what MacArthur does here, and he's not going to get into it until a few chapters, but he's going to walk through the seven churches of Revelation. And, and it's not that we're going to look at the seven churches in Revelation and say, Okay, that's, that's Ephesus, Thyatira, that's Philadelphia, well, that's Smyrna. We're not going to look at those in their own categories and, and, not, and isolate ourselves from it. What we're going to do is we're going to look at these seven churches in the light of the fact that he's talking to the church today. He's talking to us. Revelation 1 through 3 is a message and it is a warning and it is a damning message to the church and it is a call of reformation. Now, if you haven't read Revelation 1 through 3, that's, you need to do that this week. That needs to be a part of what you do. Um, but you're going to see that there are seven lampstands that John sees in this first vision. And he sees one in the middle that is Jesus Christ. 
And so you have the foundation being the apostles and the prophets, but the cornerstone is Christ himself. And so Christ is what we are built upon. We are building upon the apostles and the teachers of the word, but Christ is the cornerstone that holds all things together. And it is Christ who is the head of the church. It is Christ who wrote the message of Revelation to us. And it is Christ who is calling the church to reformation. Now, out of the seven churches, and we're going to look at this again in the next few weeks, and I've got to wrap up here. There are three churches, that is Thyatira, Sardis, and Laodicea, that are basically dead. They, they have warnings against them. There is no life found in them. You have Smyrna, who would be like the golden church, if you would, even though it still has some issues. Smyrna was the one where there was some praise given to them. Ephesus was the, the mother church. All the churches kind of came out of Ephesus. But they were all founded by Paul and the apostles. And so as John writes, he's literally on this rock island. Now, I don't know what kind of a vision he was seeing, but it was obviously of God. Re Revelation 1.1 says, Revelation 1.5 says, Jesus spoke to him through the angel of the Lord. It was a vision. It sounded like trumpets, sounded like mighty waters. Now, obviously, he was in another realm as he is seeing and, and being cast this vision to him. This isn't happening today. If any of you come to me and say you have a vision for 2022, I'm not going to listen to you, okay? The Bible's clear. It's done. It's over. We're going we're gonna to read that. We're going to focus on that. I don't want any new messages, all right? Unless he's speaking to all of us at the same time. But John, in this crazy, probably hallucinating but in a godly, spiritual, somehow way, is going to write to us in this book. Now, Macy, I just told you she broke her arm. She was on these medications. When she came off that medication, you should have heard the things she was saying. It was nuts. She thought I had three eyes. And she thought they were upside down. Um, and she was telling me that. You're not, you're not supposed to have three eyes. And, uh, and just the things she was saying was hilarious. And I, just, I was like, I need to get my phone out and record this. Um, I don't know what kind of inspiration John was under. We know it was Holy Ghost inspired, but we know that it was a direct relation, uh, revelation from God to us. And so this book is, is damning. And so, guys, I, I want to encourage you this year, but as we study through this book and through the scriptures that we're going to be studying through, to focus on the church's reformation, which is your reformation. Each individual one of us, and as couples, we need, to, we need to be called to purity and repentance. I, I haven't said this, but I was going to open up with this. You probably never heard of a church where a pastor stood in the pulpit and called the whole entire church to repent. The church. I, I don't know if I've ever heard of one doing that. But that's what we need to do. We need to be called to repentance because every one of us probably has a skewed view of what we think Reformation is to look like. And a lot of times it's on the immoral people that we have in our society. You can find them everywhere. 
And we need to focus here. We need to protect the purity of the gospel. And that is how we're going to change lives. Jesus is going to change lives. And it may be super slow. It may be one-on-one relational this year where you feel like you could be doing so much more in this big or large setting, but this one-on-one discipleship is where change and reform truly happens. I'm going to use Amanda as an example again. Um, She's on a bus, and she volunteers her time, and she's talking to women who want to abort their babies, and they're hanging on some last thread hope. It may be because they're getting pressure from home. It may be because they're, they're druggies, and they don't even know what they want to do with this child when they bring it into this world. But yet, their job, because it's a Christian ministry, is to not just say, oh, this is a life in you. Don't you want to save this life? It has a heartbeat. Look how precious this is. They want to give them the gospel. It may be slow, and it may be arduous, and it may be a smaller percentage of women that they actually convince, and the gospel changes than it is the other, but it's still a reformation. I'm going to use Dana as an example in the classroom. She's got all these children that are going to be coming back to her classroom this week. And it may be slow, and it may be arduous, and it may not be as direct as you would like because you're in a public school setting, but you are able to minister to these children, and it's not going to be by making them behave or sit down or not talk. It's going to be by giving them the only thing that saves, and that's Jesus. So laws and morality doesn't change anybody. Jesus changes people. We know that. We know that. But let's focus on that this year in this, this uh, study. Um, next week, we're going to be in chapter 1. Okay, Really, kind of today, I've, I've kind of been talking about the morality issue. Bill brought this up. That's the whole introduction. We can't change the society. But chapter 1 is really where it gets into the repentance aspect. Repenting, reformation purity. And MacArthur lays out a wonderful outline for us to follow um, and walks us through the scriptures on the church's calling to be repentant. Um, And so I would encourage you, if you haven't already read chapter one, read it. If you have, read it again. Take notes. Read every scripture that's presented. If it takes you a whole week to do that, it's okay. Go to the scriptures, read them, and try to grasp what the scripture is saying as he presents it in in this chapter. It may take you all week to do this, and it's okay, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to slow read this for um, a good two months, okay? And if you have time, I would encourage you also to look at the MacArthur Systematic Theology book and be reading through the section on the church in there as well. I think it's the most important thing that we can do. It's the most important thing. It's not going to be sports. Your knowledge of... um, how to work on cars or sports or how to be a better cook or whatever it is that you look at YouTube, none of that is going to be as important as for your study on the church this year. None of it. You can do evangelical self-helps, how to witness to somebody. That's not going to help you if you have no foundational understanding of what the church is to be. And so I want to encourage us, everything else aside this year, let's focus on what Christ is calling us as a church to do. And I really believe that this church can be a lighthouse in this community. It may start small and it may be arduous, it may be tedious, it may be slower than we want it to be, but God is gonna use us if we are committed to reforming and being pure as he is pure, like a bridegroom. We want to be pure when he comes. We want to be pure as a bride for the Lord Jesus Christ. We wanna be decked in white. And so the only way to do that is to be in the word.
And, um, and I, I do believe that God will use that and bless us this year for that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We know that we are not deserving of being light bearers, but you have called us from darkness. We understand what the light has done. It has shown us and it continually shows us the ugliness of this world. Father, there is death all around us. And even in our extended family this week, there has been a suicide for these children that Amanda and Patrick keep. The suicide of their, their father. A 21-year-old kid who just saw no hope. That's what this world offers. It offers them death and damnation, but you have come to conquer death. You've conquered it. We know we can sleep at night because we know, God, that we have life that is so much better than this place offers. But God, the world doesn't know. And we need you, Father, to illumine their hearts. But we ask that you use us as John, through the inspiration of Jesus Christ, writes to us to be dedicated to purity, to the gospel, in the church, knowing that that will be the only thing that reforms this dark place. May we win as many people this year as we can to Christ. And it may it be through our engagement with them. Help us to be serious about our faith, our love for you. And help us to um, enjoy our time in the Word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are glad you joined us today. If you have any questions about what was discussed on today's podcast, send us a message on Facebook. Email us at info at eastmemorial.org or call our church office at 334-365-7500. Thanks for listening.